First on Film and Entertainment, delightful to be with you. Alex First is my name. Greg King, come on down. The football season is over as far as you're concerned, correct? Uh, no, I'm still going to say some of the finals. Yeah, 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 but your team, they'd never go anywhere, do they? No, but that doesn't matter. I can still enjoy the finals and be neutral and you enjoy the game sometimes when your team's not involved. Oh, look, it's terrific. I love seeing my footy. I reckon footy's in a great shape. The only thing, um, the standing rule, we'll talk about that in a moment. Peter Krauss, do you know what the standing rule is? Uh, sitting down. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. It's really good. I mean, I've been trying to educate you. You've been on this program for how long now? And we still can't string three words together about football. It is so disappointing, Dave Griffiths. What do you reckon? How do we educate Peter? I'm not sure how we go about educating Peter, Alex, but I've got a big question for you. This is a film show and a TV show. So tell us, why are the Essendon board meetings at the moment resembling the Red Wedding in Game of Thrones where just everybody gets axed? Now, look, hang on. We are we are presented with a particular picture which is very, very negative. I'm going to give you all of the positives now. And, Greg, you can jump in at any time. This is a fresh start. That's what this is all about, giving us the opportunity to win a flag. Now, we've been trying and trying, and this is the, the longest dry spell in our history, so we obviously have to change things up. The way that our former coach, Ben Rutten, was treated is appalling. It should never have been handled the way it's been handled. I have been singularly unimpressed. Having said that, we did need a reset. Now, I would have preferred to have seen Truck, as he's known as, see out his contract, see what he could have achieved next year. And I say that because there have been a number of coaches over the distance that were all but sacked. And then the next year, they won a flag or got close to winning in a flag. And I reckon we're heading in the right direction. We have got a talented list. Sure, it needs supplementing, but... I understand it's been a bad year. It hasn't been a horrible year in the sense that, what, West Coast won two games, North Melbourne won two games, we won seven. So what's all the fuss about? We're making too much of this, is in my opinion. But, Alex, I need to put this stat to you. Did you know that if a baby was born on the day that Essendon last won a final, next week they would be legally allowed to vote, buy cigarettes and drive a car on their own because they'd be turning 18? I did say to you that this is the longest dry spell in our history. We need to break that nexus. But is it about, what's the expression, chucking out the, the baby with the bathwater? No, it shouldn't have been. And, and there's all sorts of internal ructions and oh, it's, it's grist for the mill for us, members of the media. What do you reckon, Greg? Give, give us a comment. Sorry, I didn't know this show was sponsored by the Essendon Football Club, Alex. No, no, Greg, um, you are never going to win this argument with me, my friend. We are always going to talk about sport, and this is why Dave is so valuable in this program, because he can talk about all sorts of things, as should you and Peter Krause. So that's Greg, what it's all about. Greg how, did, Greg, how did you not know that it was sponsored by Essendon? My um, basket full of peptides arrived this morning. Exactly. A, look, a little jab here, a little jab there. You know, I mean, you know, we're, we're out, we're out to enthuse people with a with a little sort of counterpunch. That's what this is about, Gregory. So get with the program. Alex, no? I have a question for you. Please, Peter. If you are so vocal and so uh, subsumed with uh, Essendon, why have you not uh, liaised with the Essendon board and indeed nominated yourself to be part of the selection process for the new coach? 
because, in fact, that's a very thank you very much for raising this question. I have absolutely no idea why we have put somebody from the arch enemy on the selection panel. We have put Robert Walls, who, yes, he's got a good football brain and he's a Carlton man. You, what? This is a wolf in sheep's clothing. Love the man dearly. I'm, I'm tongue in cheek. But, you know, why would we do that? Can you explain that, Dave? I mean, surely you, you don't go to the enemy to try and pick a new coach. I think it's payback because didn't Collingwood put Mick Malthouse in charge of Carlton to bring them down? Ah, uh, is that – yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe it is. Now, I mean, hey, there's a solution to all of this. Bring back Sir James. I've been saying this from day dot. I honestly believe that he is the man who could bring it all together because there's such a love for him. Not amongst – not universal. I get that. But all has been forgiven. And as far as the chief executive of the AFL is concerned, there's no reason he can't coach a side. So he's been having his training wheels on this year at GWS. Now it's time to bring him back into the fold, isn't it, Dave? No, I, I'm on the I'm on the different uh, wavelength when it comes to to James Hurd. I think he still needs to do a lot more to show me that he's ready to coach again. Hang on, hang on. what does he have to do? Flagellate himself? No, I just. Well, for starters, I think he has to admit fault for part of of what's happened before because he's still pretty defensive about that. But I would just like to go and see him actually work as an assistant coach under somebody like a Clarko or someone like that that's been in the business for a while and just, yeah, do his due diligence as an assistant coach and then show that he's ready to come back as a coach. Well, hang on, hang on. There's been several weeks now under Mark McVeigh at GWS. Yeah, but that's several weeks. Look at look at John Longmire in Sydney. He did 10 years under Paul Roos. There's no instruction here, Dave. There's no <laughs> rule book. I mean, come on. Let's get with the program. Sir James, bring him back. The red and black will absolutely go gangbusters in 2023. I've got such optimism. And we've got to bring in, we've got all this he's salary cap so room. He's got so much baggage with him, I think, at the moment. Um Alex, you need to let a little more time go, as Dave has said, um, to um, have that distance. Hang on, hang on. Are we talking about long, flowing, Moses-like beard now? What, what, I mean, how many years, Greg? Wait, this was what? I'd say probably a decade. Well, it's seven years on. Yeah, so another three years. Ah, uh, yeah. And, and if the position isn't available, I don't want him to go to another club. I want him to come back to us. That, that's what it's all about. So, uh, well, I feel the, I felt the same way when um, Robert Harvey, our champion, went to Carlton and then to Collingwood. Well, you know, I understand that a lot of players go to other clubs to get their cro- coaching credentials right. Now, as I say, he's spent a number of weeks. I understand it's not years, but he's spent a number of weeks at another club. I reckon it's time. That's all. I, I'd vote for him, no question at all. And I understand there's a lot to be apologetic about. I, I don't in any way condone the drug saga, well, the supposed drug saga, the injection saga. I think that was a disgraceful performance by the Bombers as well. So there, there is a lot to be, well, contrite about. But let's move on. Let's get the club, because it's a big club. It's got the highest membership in the history of the club. We just need to bring everybody together and on the same page. Surely that's what it's about. I mean, Greg, you know you won one flag in the club's history. That, that's what St Kilda's been about. So, I mean, have you got the right coach? Have you got the right people at your club? No, I think, I, I, I think, St, I think St Kilda did the wrong thing. When Clarkson was available, they re-signed Ratton for a two-year contract. They should have grabbed Clarkson then, went after him. Mm. Then, when he was available and in the mix. 
I tell you what, I've got a lot of admiration for Clarkson in terms of the way he's conducted himself right throughout this, the integrity that the man has. Uh, I, he's just this incredibly hot property. And there's no doubt that there's this great enthusiasm now surrounding North Melbourne and, and players who are thinking of moving away from the club or were are now seriously considering their positions. That's what a great coach can do. So let's see what he, how many years it takes for North Melbourne to get back into the eight. What's your prognostication? Let, let's go with your, you, Dave. How many years before they make the eight? If they recruit properly this year, I can see it happening within two to three years. Okay. Well, that's not – yeah, that, that's realistic. Greg? I, I'd agree. About two or three years um, just to rebuild. And um, you've been, and as Jay said, depending on who they recruit over the next year or so, um, but I, I'd, get, I'd say two or three years is what you need to give a coach to make a change. Five years he's got on contract. Can they win a flag, Dave, in that period? I don't think they can win a flag. But, again, it all comes down to who they recruit. I mean, if they go out and grab four top players this year, I might rethink that. But I don't think they can win a flag within five years. Greg? Well, look, look at the success that our new coach at Collingwood has had this year alone. Yeah. That's true. But you could argue that Collingwood, Collingwood's list was stronger. I mean, I I believe yeah. it's stronger, and and that that has a great deal to do with it. I, I I'm just I think he's the coach of the year, Craig McRae. I think it's just extraordinary what he has achieved, and yeah. the players are all playing for him, and and this is what it says. That's why. And if they hadn't won so many games by what less than two goals, they probably could have been top of the ladder. It's it's well the the number of games they've won that's never been done. That that in itself to to somehow. To, to come back from the positions that they've been in and snatch victories by less than a couple of goals, amazing. That the that one after another after another, surely that cannot be a fluke. So that's the end of the football discussion for today. Ten minutes on it. I think that's a nice start, Peter. What do you reckon? Are you with the program? Are you giving equal time to the AFLW? Well, okay. Thank, thank you very much indeed. It kicked off. We've got... 18 teams there for the first time, Dave. Really fantastic. Essendon has a team in it. It's good. That's a really good starting point. I just want more goals scored in the AFLW. What do you reckon, Dave? Yeah, I think that's the biggest problem with it at the moment. I I watched Carlton Collingwood the other night and I love it. I just don't understand why there's not so many goals kicked because it's a pretty free-flowing game. I don't understand... And I don't understand what they can do to change that either. But all I can think of is it's going to get better over the years because more and more young girls now are getting into AFL and being able to be coached properly from an early age. So within the next few years, I think you'll see it equal to the men's competition. I think people like Daisy PSG, I've got a lot of admiration for her as a player, as a commentator. What a gifted person she is. People like that bringing others to the game is really essential and the standard is continuing to rise and that's the yep. important part of this that the better the standard the more that people are going to be interested in seeing it i'd like to see i mean the the curtain raises brought back into football i know that this is a, a hoary chestnut for some but surely why can't you go along to the footy earlier and see sort of vfl matches what would be wrong with that i, I don't understand why they don't do this as a matter of course Some i, think they, should, I think they should play the women's the vfl and the afl all all on the same day on the same ground unless weather permitting by the way talking about footy television rights where do you think that's going because there was a rumor during the week 
that it would be taken away from seven and that nine and ten would share it with Foxtel. Did you hear that? Yeah, I, I've heard that Paramount Plus is very big into that as well. So it could be nine, ten, and Paramount Plus. But of course, there was also the minister that got involved in terms of free to air because there's speculation that Saturday will belong to just non free to air television, which would be yeah. terrible. I, I mean, I understand that Foxtel might want it, but but I mean, there's surely what, what's that? It's not the anti-siphoning law. What's it called? The one where you've got to have free-to-air rights to television matches to to AFL matches. Yeah, know? I'm not sure. I'm not sure what it's called, but I think I think Paramount Plus would be a big game changer if they can get AFL because suddenly you only have to pay nine ninety nine a month and you've got AFL every game on your TV. Where's Dipper when you need him? Nine ninety nine. Okay, let's go on to films, folks. The big movie of the week is Beast. Is that a good thing? I mean, I'm, I'm not sure. We've had lots of creature features over the distance. In fact, let's just try, let's start the review of Beast by talking about some, Jaws would be the biggest that I can think of. Cujo is another one. What else can you think of, boys? Uh, Godzilla, King Kong. Hang on, one at a time. We'll go with Dave. Go for it. Uh, Godzilla, King Kong, The mm-hmm. Meg. Yeah, fair enough. Anaconda. What, what do you reckon? Uh, you go next, Greg. Uh, you've got Grizzly, you've got Bats, you've got um, all sorts of ones. I, some of them just um, escaped me at the moment, but they're the two I can think of off the top of my head. Snake. And all the secrets to Jaws. Yeah. Um, it's, it's snakes on a plane. What, yep. what, what else, Peter? Oh, you can go all the way back to, uh, uh, depending on your definition of creature, to Dracula and uh, all sorts of other creatures, if you like to put it that way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is Beast. It's MA rated for very good reason. 93 minutes in duration. So big game poachers we have. They're they're wiping out a pride of lions. That's where, when we enter this movie, one of them gets away and goes rogue. And that is a pretty straightforward plot, really, and that is Beast. And to give you a little bit more detail, Dr. Nate Samuels, played by Idris Elba, has taken his two daughters from New York to visit his old friend Martin Battles, played by Shalto Copley, in South Africa. And what was the movie that that brought him to fame, Shalto Copley? Nine. That, that, thank you very much. District Nine. Absolutely. What a strong accent that man has. It's it's interesting because my wife is South African and she came out when she was thirteen, and she still has a very strong accent too. So it's quite distinctive. There's tension in the air because Samuels is recently widowed. And and that's 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 Dr. Nate Samuels, the Idris Elba character, and he hasn't been the best of fathers. His eldest is an eighteen-year-old daughter called Meredith. It's actually she's known as Mare, played by Iyana Haley, and she blames him for the death of her mother, his wife. The other person we spoke about, Martin Battles, Shalto Copley, is a wildlife biologist who manages a game reserve. The day after the father and two kids arrive, he's the one who takes Nate and his girls, Meredith and Nora, Nora played by Leah Jeffries, who's 13, for a look around. Their first sign of trouble is when they come to a village and there's nobody there. And then they make an alarming discovery. It's soon clear that an apex predator is on the loose and Nate, his children and battles a fair game. You see, the beast is hunting all humans after bloodthirsty poachers mowed down his pride. 
what starts out as a journey of healing for Samuels and the kids becomes a fearsome fight for survival. This movie, Beast, has been written by Ryan Engel, who did The Commuter, from a story by Jamie Privax Sullivan, directed by Balthazar Kormakor, and we'd know him from the movie Everest, for example. It's got all the hallmarks, in my opinion, of a free-to-air midday movie, Peter. If it wasn't for Idris Elba's star power, I don't think we would have been seeing this at the movies. And and I've got to say, understandably so. What What do you reckon? Well, I retitled this film Jaws on Land because it's basically a, a, a restyling of this idea of a predator um, uh, riding roughshod on humans and uh, trying to take them all out for some spurious reason. Look, the CGI uh, lion is, I must say, slightly um, uh, doubtful in terms of the way it looks, and I found the story uh, to be so genre-bound that it was entirely predictable from start to finish. Not that a genre film is bad necessarily, but uh, this one I found was so much by the numbers filmmaking that it, it needed an Icelandic director to at least give you some jump scares and some uh, some uh, clever camera work to make the, the film look as if it has any sort of meaning at all. And in fact, it has no meaning because it, it pays lip service to the idea of wiping out lions or wiping out wildlife in South Africa because it it, uh, it jettisons that very quickly and concentrates on the action and who will survive and whether the CGI lion will look better as the film progresses, uh, etc. So I, I really had uh, very little to, uh, to like about this film apart from it being, as you quite rightly say, a, a throwaway midday movie. It's a, it's a genre piece um, without any distinction. Well, Greg, the dialogue's pretty pedestrian. The plot has a concocted feel. And, I mean, one example, the relationship between father and elder daughter, that to me was particularly manufactured, to obviously to heighten the drama. But uh, it just doesn't work as well as it could have worked. What do you think? Well, Peter rechristened his jaws on land. I rechristened it. Cujo in the jungle, um, <laughs> albeit, albeit with a rogue lion rather than a rabbit St. Bernard terrorised family trapped in their vehicle. Yeah, and it's also, totally great. It's also got elements of that, um, the ghost in the darkness, I recall the 1996 film in which Michael Douglas and Val Kilmer hunted down a pair of killer lions there. But I, I didn't mind this, actually. I thought um, Balthazar Kumakar did a good job of bringing up ratcheting up the suspense there. As Peter said, there are a couple of jump scares in here as well. And I thought it was beautifully shot on location in South Africa there by Oscar-winning cinematographer Philippe, Philippe Russello, who does a great job of capturing the natural beauty of the spectacular landscapes there. And he used um, light and shadow to good effect in creating an ominous mood there. And unlike Peter, I thought the CGI effects that Rick brought the line to light were quite realistically and seamlessly incorporated into the action there. But I agree, it's a B-grade creature feature. It has all the tropes and cliches that have been a staple of the sub-genre of this predator hunting down man ever since Jaws scared us out of the water. Um, but I think the presence of Idris Elba elevates it a little bit there. He has a strong presence there, and he does a good job of um, holding the film. Greg, does he really? I mean, he's try Do you believe he is who the character who he's re representing himself to be? Do you really believe him? 
Because, I mean, I would argue that that's the biggest problem with this movie, that I didn't have enough belief. And, I mean, if you can't believe, then authenticity is the key when you're watching any movie. And I just well, – you, you could say with Jaws it genuinely scared you and so on and so forth. This wasn't even in the same ballpark. This did not have the pedigree of the best of breed. I mean, it's in that wheelhouse, but it's very, very average. No? Oh, I quite enjoyed it, actually. Ah, okay. Easily pleased. That's, Thank you. That, that's, that's representative of you as a Saint supporter, isn't it? Easily <laughs> Is that correct? What? We're coughing our we're coughing our lungs out. What do you what do you think, uh, Dave? Where, where's your view on the beast or beast? Yeah, I just viewed this as a as another genre flick. I had a little bit of insight to the film because I was able to interview the director, and there was a few things that he said in that interview that I saw in the film that actually made me respect the film a little bit more. First of all, he was determined to make this in South Africa. He wasn't going to allow the studio to talk him into filming it on a back lot in Hollywood with um, a green screen. And he said that actually added to the film because it um, meant that the actors, well, there was times he said when they were were shooting and a a lion roared like within a kilometre of where they were filming. And he said, you can't get that kind of fear on people's faces um, through acting. And that, that actually enhanced it. And I think that helped. But I also think the cinematography helped with this film as well. Those long lingering shots where there was no edits, uh, especially when they were going through that first village that they got to. I thought that really enhanced it. I think there's a little nod early on in this film to what um, Balthazar is trying to achieve with this film. And that's when Meredith is wearing the Jurassic Park t-shirt early on. He's giving a nod to, yeah, this is another genre flick kind of thing. And I think he, like from talking to him, he knew that he wasn't making a serious film. This is not going to be his film that people remember him for, but he wanted to make a film where he got to make a statement about poaching um, and what it does to the animals in, in that kingdom and in that cycle on, because this is something that actually happens with poaching. You, you go and change the cycle of a pride and, suddenly animals start acting out. It's something that they're seeing in South Africa. I think it could have been done in a better way and maybe go and make a movie about the black mumbers, the um, the female soldiers that hunt down poachers in South Africa. I think that would have been a better story. But, uh, yeah, it's just a popcorn film. Leave your brain at the door, sit down and enjoy it. Mm. Well, I, mean, I asked that question. where I started by saying... If it wasn't for Idris Elba, I don't think we would have seen this in the movies. I think this would have been a straight-to-DVD release or Blu-ray or whatever. Would you agree with that, Dave? Um, no, because we just saw the reef uh, stalked in cinemas and that didn't have any big-name people either. I think genre films will always have people clock to see them. Like I went and saw The Invitation last night and there's no big names in that film and the cinema was full and I was in a 300-seat cinema. Mm. Yeah, well, I I think there's also been examples of movies that are a lot lot better than this that haven't made it to the big screen, which really troubles me. Having said that, I, I reckon this is a creature feature I could have done without. It's called Beast. It's MA rated, and I will kick it off by giving it a five out of ten. Peter, I agree with you, Alex. Five out of oh 10. my golly, oh no, oh, hang on, have you gone soft on me or something? <laughs> What, what the heck's going on here? This is not normal. Okay, uh, we'll go with you. Uh, well, Dave, I think you've been influenced by the interview, but let's see what your score is. 
I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. To me, it was just a bit of fluff that I sat down and enjoyed for 90 minutes. Well, that's a high score for something like this, in my opinion. Greg? I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. Well, that, that's, you know, given that you quite enjoyed it, that's a, yeah, it's a middling type. I'm surprised, Dave, at 7. Really? That, that's, that's a better than average film. I think I just needed something like this at the moment. I've been watching so many in-depth films recently that, that um, and a few of them, I'll admit, like got to me emotionally. I think I just needed a film where I sat down for 90 minutes and watched Idris Elba take on a CGI line. Oh, well, fair enough. Absolutely. Hit the Road. This is a very interesting movie. It marks the directorial feature debut of Penar Panahi, and it is an Iranian movie. And it goes for 94 minutes, PG rated. I've got to ask just what's going on, because that was a question that characterised the start of what's a whimsical family drama written and directed by the gentleman that I've just mentioned, and we're on this cross-country road trip with a mother, father, an eldest son and a younger son. Just where we're going, well, it's not really clear. What we can say is that there are many stops along the way. The dad is played by Muhammad Hassan Manjuni, and he has a broken leg. He's on crutches. It's been that way for about five months. The elder son, Amin Simia, who is at least 20 years of age, is at the wheel of this motor vehicle, and he says very little. In fact, he's not very expressive at all, although his driving skills are constantly being questioned by his father. The younger son, Rayan Sarlak, perhaps aged, what, about four or five, is the antithesis of his brother, an energizer bunny who can't stop talking or sit still. The one instruction all have been given is not to bring any mobile phones on this road trip, and yet the youngster has smuggled one into the car, and now he's distraught his mum is making sure that the phone is buried, literally. Also in the car with them is a sick dog that father rescued. The boy is attached to this dog. He doesn't realise, though, this, this young, young boy, that the trip's really about taking his brother to a point where smugglers have been paid to take him across the border. And to that end, his parents have actually sold their house to enable that to happen. And while Mum, played by Pantia Panahaiha, understands why her eldest has to do what he's about to do, she's highly emotional about it. This is a family that hurls insults at one another and yet cares deeply for each other. And in the case of the parents, much of their thoughts and feelings are expressed in their eyes. I reckon there's a sense of yearning that accompanies this movie, Peter. We, we long to learn more about the characters, but much is left unsaid, and it's up to each and every one of us as an audience to interpret or to read between the lines. I mean, what struck me immediately was the naturalistic performances. Uh, absolutely. Uh, Iranian cinema is really so interesting because on the surface, um, you have very simple sort of stories, uh, a family situation or group of children or whatever the case might be. And yet uh, what is on the surface is hiding deeply political, cultural and religious issues that, um, of course, these filmmakers like um, uh, Pana Panahi, who's I think the son of Jaffa uh, yep. Panahi. Yep. And uh, and Kurdistan. Uh, the authorities are constantly watching, as a, uh, uh, by the way, the father. 
Yes, yes, exactly. And so we we get this sense of unease that there is something going on under the surface that is uh, an infraction of some sort that has to be punished or a political issue or um, or something that has to be resolved in some way. And they're on this journey to reach that resolution, which is unlikely to be pleasant. It uh, Look, I was very impressed by this film because of what it didn't say and what it leaves the audience, a Western audience, to interpret and understand because there is a lot of complexity going on with the way these characters interact and uh, the dialogue that we do here and the motorcycle gang that we experience um, halfway through the film. Uh, So uh, if you you like... I I should add to that, that, that not just a a motorcycle gang, there's really only one or two of them, but but they're hooded. I mean, the, the, the characters are hooded. Obviously, they don't want their their faces shown. And, yes. and I, I should also say, I mean, it's important that we we do mention that uh, I don't know whether you've read an interview with the director, the the writer and director, but uh, apparently he wasn't in any way curtailed. They gave him permission to film, which uh, which is important because I I mean, to me, like a, almost another character, it is another character, is the landscape, the 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 the, the interest. Do you remember that rocky outcrop very very early on in the piece? I thought that was stunning, and the yep. cinematographer. I mean, Jafari really captures that magnificently, that Rocky Mountain range early on, but but also the expressions on the faces of the characters. It, it, I just found it really appealing and evocative in that way. So, you know, that, it's great that he's been able to make a movie like this. And it, 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 it sort of, it, it, there's, I agree with you that there's so much left unsaid, but that's what make, part of what makes this movie much better than good, much better than good. It's a, It really is... This is a filmmaker that we've got to watch. He's not a young man, by the way. I think he's about 37. So, okay. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a man that I, I, this, thrust, this thrusts him, hit the road, thrusts him onto the world stage. It's won quite a number of awards at film festivals too. So, yeah, yep. And and it just demonstrates the power of Iranian cinema uh, at uh, displaying stories carefully so that it doesn't offend the censors or, or the uh, the government or whatever so that filmmakers can continue to make films that are very subtle in their political allegories. Mm. Uh, Greg, what struck I me... Haven't seen one yet. Oh, you haven't seen it? Okay. So, Peter, you and I will talk a little bit more about it. I, I mean, the, the naturalistic performances, let's talk about that. Muhammad Hassan Manjouni, this sort of comic gruffness to his role... Just such an incredible face. I, I, I know that's a strange thing to say, but I couldn't take my eyes off him. A really strong showing, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely, and uh, and the mother as well. Uh, it you read so much into their faces because they are going through emotional rigor uh, quite significantly, and uh, and yes, that that idea of looking. And and uh, I suppose staring at the audience to some extent, um, so that the audience understands that there are, are real depths and issues that are going on here. It's kind of like breaking the fourth wall, isn't it? In in yep. in, a, in a, uh, Pantia Panhiha, uh, uh, that she's the, the the mother, empathetic and caring. There's a, a very late scene where uh, was it Children of a Lesser God with William Hurt? Single teardrop. Was that was uh. that? Do you, do you remember the one where where he cried on? This is many many years ago now. That yep. it reminded me. I hope I've got the right movie. Greg, can you verify that? You know, there was that single teardrop in a, a movie going back into the eighties. Was that William Hurt? 
It, it sounds like it, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, there, there was a, I think it was the left eye. A teardrop forms in the corner of her left eye and you don't need dialogue. It just speaks volumes. So that that was her. But the real revelation to me was Ryan Sarlacc, this, this kid who's six, he was six years of old age when he shot this and plays a four or five-year-old. What a performance. What a find. He's lively. He's precocious, immensely talented, didn't you think? Oh, absolutely, and had a lot of dialogue actually, uh, which which was really interesting. Yes, mm, uh, just this. I mean, you, you sort of want to gobble, gobble him up. You just wonder what, what he can do. He's just got this incredible. He, he he's got drawing power. That's what he, he's a star. This little kid, an absolute star. And we, I've mentioned the cinematography. There's also a nod at as we reach the film's conclusion, Peter. There's there's a nod to Stanley Kubrick's 2001: A Space Odyssey, and that occurs as as the father's having a conversation with his son about the comic book hero Batman. That that came out of the blue, didn't it? Uh, it did. Although I'm 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 trying to make the connection. But make the connection with what? 2001. Well, hang on. Again, I don't want to spoil it for people. Think about what the visuals were. Think about what the visuals in that sequence were. They, they were specific, again, with stars and non-natural. I mean, again, I, I just don't want to go any further than that. Maybe yeah. we'll, we'll talk off air. It definitely was. And, I, I mean, I was I was listening also to the, the director talking about it, and he acknowledged that it was a nod to Stanley Kubrick's 2001. Okay. All right. Yeah. But look, it is slow moving. We've got to, we've got to mention this. It, it nothing happens that things happen in their own time frame. So that's not going to appeal to everybody. But I think it's a really thoughtful and engaging piece of work. And as I've said, I mean, the, the highest compliment I can pay it is that you make a movie like this, and all of a sudden the world pays attention. And I reckon that's what the world's going to do. So. Score out of 10 from you for Hit the Road, which runs for 94 minutes and is rated PG, Peter. Another very impressive Iranian film with so much to say, uh, a 9 out of 10 for me. Wow. you that That's that's a heck of a score. I'm giving it an 8 out of 10. So, again, uh, it's it's a, an independent sort of movie. It's not a mainstream production. Just be aware of that, but there's going to be a lot of people who will appreciate the style of it. And, uh, yeah, go and see Hit the Road. You are with Dave Griffiths, with the one and only Gregory King and with Peter Krauss and, of course, myself, Alex First. Blaze, MA rated 101 minutes and we've got a 12-year-old called Blaze, played by Julia Savage. And she's always had a vivid imagination. She's particularly fond of her imaginary colourful dragon. She lives with her father. Mum is no longer on the scene. And one afternoon, she witnesses something truly shocking, the, the rape and murder of a woman who she later finds out is named Hannah, played by Elle Stone. And the rape is committed by Jake, Josh Lawson, a man Hannah once had sex with. She makes it clear that she's not interested in a repeat performance, but he will not take no for an answer. Blaze is witness to it all, does not try to intervene. The consequences for her and for her father are devastating. She's traumatised. She withdraws. She's angry, aggressive, violent. She's hospitalised. She's also called upon to testify in court while facing the predator. 
The question is, can she find a way back? And if so, how? And this is, again, a stunning feature directorial debut for the co-writer with Huna Amwiro. And the name of the director is Del Catherine Barton. It's quite an alarming and dramatic fantasy in which animation and puppetry play key parts. If truth be told, I actually thought that those components were overdone. And I, I suppose I point to the adage, which I reckon is true in this case, that less is more. And I get that the dream sequences are integral to Blaze's childhood. The all too frequent appearances of the dragon, I, I just thought unnecessary, overdone. Ten minutes would really have been, uh, they could have been, ten minutes could have been lost from the, the running time of Blaze and it, it would have been fine. Uh, but it, it does mark Julia Savage's entree to features and, and what a debut it is. That there's an authenticity about her. She exhibits vulnerability, sensitivity and strength, Gregory King. Uh yeah, I suppose so, Alex. But I, I'm obviously not as big a fan of this as you were. I found some elements didn't quite work. Like you, I thought all that imaginary realism, um, the dragon, um, all the... Greg, we seem to have lost you. Are you still with us? Um, the surreal stylistic touches, um, all that stuff, I thought, like you, it was a bit overwhelming, a bit overdone. Um, the soundtrack resonated with the story's themes and Blaze's psychological trauma, but I had a problem with the court case itself. That sort of turned me off a little bit because it's not like any court case I've, I ever, I've ever seen um, where the, the um, defence get to tear the witness apart before the prosecution have even established the case there. I thought um, Savage's performance was superb, brought a um, maturity beyond her years, and conveyed a range of emotions. And I thought Simon Baker was also strong and sympathetic as her concerned father, who seemed unable to help her through a psychological trauma. Well, the film deals with some important themes, but I thought it was an uncomfortable film to watch and it may not appeal to everyone, Alex. Mm. Well, I mean, I agree with you. Simon Baker, excellent as the father who cares deeply for his daughter but doesn't have all the right answers. I thought Bernie Van Teel had a small but memorable role as the therapist who can break through the barrier that Blaze has put up. I, I, I really noticed that that performance. Dave, did you enjoy Blaze? I thought this was an absolutely amazing film. I described it as what would happen if uh, Lars Van Trier um, directed a Jim Henson movie. Um, I <laughs> yeah. thought it was just absolutely amazing. I thought the the use of the the puppets um added something to this film i mean this could have been a very very bleak film and i guess in a way it is but i think it could have been a very bleak and bland film if it had just been the story of a young girl going through what she went through i think it was that added element that uh that brought something different to it it, it called upon the the work of aussie directors like uh, jim stamatakos um and people like that and i thought this this is something, when I was watching it, I was thinking this is something special. This is a film where we're going to see this director go on to great things in the future. And I also love the performance of Yale Stone. That was absolutely amazing. And I think together with Rasmus King, um, watching his films during um, the last couple of weeks, I think we're in very, very good hands when it comes to young stars coming through the Australian film industry at the moment. 
One of the things that really struck me about this, uh, Peter, the, the close-up cinematography by Jeremy Rouse, that, that really highlighted the pain that Blaze is experiencing. Very difficult to watch, uh, as are the rape scenes, which, which is particular, the rape scene uh, singular, which is particularly distressing, isn't it? It is, and it is beautifully shot, as as uh, you just uh, said. Look, it, filmmakers find it so difficult to deal with the emotional and psychological trauma of a child witnessing such a, uh, a horrific event. And uh, films like The Babadook uh, and some others have uh, tried to deal with uh, these difficult circumstances using puppets or using uh, other iconography, using other devices, uh, dragons, whatever the case might be, to try and portray that psychological trauma without going into super realism uh, about how that impact could be demonstrated. So what uh, really impressed me about Blaze is that it does deal uh, in a slightly heightened fashion the the psychological trauma of a girl witnessing such a, a difficult event and trying to come to terms with it through her own means using devices such as puppets and 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 uh, animation and other things to try and ameliorate that um, personal psychological impact and and I think the director has done such a great job in getting into the mind of a child uh, and understanding how uh, this girl would cope with such a, a terrible event, which is also indicating the impact on women uh, uh, in terms of abuse. And that is certainly a subtext of this film, uh, how, how women are sort of subject to male abuse and how they can try and uh, understand and resolve it um, without uh, having deep psychological trauma. This is so well directed and such a, a well-made film. Um, I was very impressed. I, I didn't find a, a problem at all with the extended um, uh, magical realism scenes, if you like to put it that way, because I think it, it inhabited the character, the girl, so well. Uh, and uh, this is a strong Australian film, and I'm really pleased to see um, that we are making some very, very good uh, films, and uh, this is a good example of it. Well, I mean, there's no doubt you mentioned, and, and I'll put my own take on it, it makes quite the statement about the legal system, what it requires of victims and, and witnesses. I mean, it's a coming-of-age tale, and it, it shocks, it saddens, but it also focuses on resilience. So, I mean, there's a lot to like about it in terms of it, it being made the way it was. As I say, I, I still maintain it was overdone in terms of fantasy, but that's just my take on it. So let, let's go for some scores. Let's start. We'll do tallest to shortest. So I think that'll be Greg first up. Blaze is MA, and it's 101 minutes in length. Your score, Dave. Uh, not Dave, uh, uh, sorry, Greg. Oh, we're swapping places, are we? Okay. Yeah. Um, as I said, I had a few problems with um, some of the stuff in this film. Uh, it's a tough watch, um, but I, I'll give it six out of ten. Um, I was, I'm with you, Alex. I thought the visuals and the, the um, hyphen realism went on a bit too long. Mm -hmm. Okay, and I'll go next because I think I'll be the, the second uh, second highest score, second lowest score, rather. Seven out of ten for me for Blaze. Definitely worth seeing, but certainly uh, room for improvement in certain areas. Okay, let's go with – I'm not sure which one is going to give the highest score here. So I'll go with uh, you, Peter, 
for Blaze. <laughs> okay. I like this uh, sort of system. It's almost like the masked singer. Yeah. Uh, look, <laughs> a very impressive film uh, uh, and a, a strong Australian uh, contribution to our uh, industry, eight out of ten. Mm-hmm. So, hang on. I reckon you're going to go higher than that. What do you reckon, Dave? What are you going to give Blaze? I am. It's my second favourite film of myth this year. I'm giving it nine out of ten. See, I got it right for once. There we go. So we've got six, seven, eight, nine. That's, uh, I don't think we've done that before. So <laughs> this is a first on first on film and entertainment. That is Blaze, uh, an Australian movie, probably worth your while going along and see. seeing. Now, what I was going to ask you, we spoke about crimes of the future last week, but a person who wasn't with us was Dave. So, Dave, can you give me your view of crimes of the future? Just give me a a few few moments about it. Tell me what you liked about it, didn't like about it. Uh, What did you think of the film? Yeah, I found this an intriguing film, and the interesting part was that everyone, and I I will admit that I I deliberately didn't listen to what you guys said about it last week because I wanted to go back and revisit that after I'd watched it because – Everybody was telling me not to go and see this film, that it was absolutely dreadful after they'd watched it. And then I went in and watched it and quite enjoyed it. Um, I don't think it's Cronenberg's best film by a long shot, but I did get what he was referring to with um, cosmetic surgery being the new sex and things like that. I I found that a really, really intriguing thought. Um, I love some of the acting performances in this. I thought uh, Viggo Mortensen and... Kristen Stewart were the standouts. Um, Story-wise, I thought it worked as well, which was surprised me because a lot of the people that were telling me not to go and see it said that there was no plot with this film. Well, there there was a plot there. Um, like all of Cronenberg's films, you had to think about it. And like we just said with Blaze, I think it's interesting sometimes when a film makes you think or it makes the audience work a little bit to try and understand what the director is trying to say. Um, people tune out and and don't want to know the film anymore. I remember the same when um, Lars von Trier directed uh, Antichrist and I loved that film. And so many people were saying to me, how can you love that film? It's, it's dreadful. But uh, I like a film like this that, that kind of makes you think. Um, I think this could have been a stronger film and I think the it could have been stronger in its plot. But at the same time, I, I like the fact that it was almost simple, but it made you think all the way through. So... In terms of a score out of 10, and I, I'll sort of try and go back to my score last week and, and we'll give you a point of comparison, I, I, I thought it was a strong film. What 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 would you give it out of 10? I'll probably give it a 7.5 out of 10. Like I said, there were some weaknesses. I'm not going to sit here and say that it's Cronenberg's best film because it's not. But, um, yeah, it was enjoyable enough to be 7.5, and, and I think it made some really, really important um, comments about where we are as as a society today. I mean, people that I know saw this and said, like we'd ever sit down and, and watch a surgery, but people sit down and watch things like embarrassing bodies and everything on TV. I have a friend who's addicted to that television show, uh, Mr. Pimple Popper, um, mm-hmm. which is an American show. It's like people do watch that stuff on TV. So well, yeah, well, it's funny you say that because my wife loves watching medical programs. Like when yeah. people cut up, I, I have to leave the rooms. <laughs> I'm the same. I can't. I I love the show The Good Doctor, but I have to look away even when there's just surgery and that. And I know that's not real. But if I sit down and watch something like um, 
the one that's set in the Royal Alfred Hospital, I can't watch it. I have to look yeah. away because it's it's too horrific for me. But um, yeah, so I perfectly understand the point that Cronenberg's trying to make where we live in a society where people will watch cosmetic surgery happen to celebrities on TikTok. So it's already happening. Yeah, well, I, I gave it a 7 out of 10. And uh, I agree with you. The Good Doctor is a very, very fine, fine television series. So terrific. All right. So that's that. Now, folks, it's been a pleasure speaking with you and we'll do it all again next week greg king thanks for your time peter and dave griffiths and uh be kind to one another well no doubt um, what's the big movie of next week does anybody know off the top i'm not sure that there is one what, what's uh, orphan the first kill ah orphan the, okay so we've got a horror movie that is going to be one of those on the agenda for us next week so be kind to one another and we will catch you again next week on first on film and entertainment 